0: The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports featuring for the wins, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. The Counter, diving deeper into the NFL with advanced stats, film study and expert guests. This is The Counter. Now, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman.
2: Hey, everybody. Welcome to a uh, spectacular edition of The Counter. One of the I've, I've been waiting for this all along, ever since we launched the show. Uh, we have Charles Chaz Chuck Curtis with us today uh, as our special guest here to discuss all the things that he's an expert in. Uh, but first, I'm Chris Corman, an editor with For the Win, uh, joined is. Usual by Stephen Ruiz, our lead NFL writer. But Charles, you are the big guest today, uh, coming to us from New York City. Charles is a—I don't even know how to explain your job at For the Win, Charles. You're just like you're our beating—you're our beating heart, is what you are. Uh, wow! You, yeah. you are the—you you are the morning man. You are uh, a confidant. You—you uh, you edit. You help us make the right decision about life, uh, just all those things. Um so Charles, jack of all trades
0: is what you're looking. For. I mean, but I, don't want to say,
2: I don't want to say jack of all trades because that would that would that would indicate that you're a master of none. But I think you're a master of all. You're you're pretty good at everything. So, uh, I will. I will. How are things in New York City right now? What's uh, what's going on on the Upper East Side?
0: Uh, we're doing okay. You know, I, I think we're in a, a very weird place right now because things are okay. Um, and we're all hanging in, but then the fall is going to come, and we're all kind of expecting the worst. So it's it's it, we're, it's about the same, then I guess, as everywhere else.
2: Right. Uh, you just yeah, you just described America, Charles. Uh, <laughs> uh, America in the time of coronavirus. Uh, we have brought Charles on today to discuss a couple different things. Uh, Hard Knocks. He is an avid watcher and uh, reviewer of Hard Knocks, the HBO series that. Follows uh, This season is following two NFL teams through training camp. Uh, He will give his thoughts on the first episode. Uh, And Charles is also one of our fantasy football experts. He's been churning out the fantasy football content. You can find that at ftw.usatoday.com. He's done a couple different things uh, on where you should draft quarterbacks, a sleeper from each team, and he addressed the (laughs) the up-and-coming the rookie that everyone is saying to draft really high. Uh, that happens. I feel like it happens every August. We pick one that we're just convinced will win you your championship. So uh, we will get to that uh, a little bit later in the show. But we're going to start it off today with a little bit of NFL news. Um, there's not a lot of news going on. The, the camp, training camps are sort of churning along in their weird... Uh, pandemic way right now, there's not as much news coming out because reporters are not able to be uh, as present as they have been. A lot of the uh, press availabilities are through Zoom. Uh, There's just, it's a very weird time. (laughs) You know, it's affecting everything. Uh, But there was some news today with the 49ers agreeing to a new deal with tight end George Kittle. This has been uh, talked about. It's been sort of floating around for a little bit now, but it looks like they are going to come to terms on a five-year $75 million deal, which is huge money for a tight end, $15 million a year. I think he'd be like maybe the 10th highest paid wide receiver. Um, but Stephen has broken down here why this deal makes sense in particular for the 49ers. Uh, the 49ers are uh, in and especially unique situation to make this work, to overpay at a non-premium position. Steven, uh, give me your take. Explain why this will work for this franchise right now.
1: I think when you're a team that is as smart and as you know well-run as the 49ers, that you can afford to take these risks that I don't think other teams can afford to do because they do have this front office that has been notoriously good at setting up their contracts in a way where the team is really never going to get into trouble. Like if Jimmy G would have been a disaster, they would have been able to get rid of him in two years into his contract with basically no cap penalty. So when you have that going for you, I think it gives, it gives uh, GM John Lynch more margin for error. And then you add in the fact that he's playing in such a unique offensive system in Kyle Shanahan's offense where a tight end who can do the things he can do is probably more valuable than it would be in, say, uh, an offense like Arizona where the tight end isn't a huge deal. Right. So I, th- I think yeah. Kyle Shanahan is correct in valuing him because he is so integral to his, his whole right. offensive scheme. Yeah,
2: I mean, I think that you – what I really like about this piece is that you have really eloquently explained how the 49ers uh, front office works – Uh, You know, you and I just had the discussion in our last episode about uh, top GMs and uh, you had uh, John Lynch. I can't write. He was top 10. I think he was. uh, He might have been. He was was 11th, maybe. And Veach was 10th. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And I think that it's important that you point out here that. Uh, he he has this salary cap wizard, Parag Marathi. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, but yeah, I think um, he's it. the executive vice president of, of football operations. And really that he is the one who has made so much of this work for the 49ers. And it's so interesting that you bring up the fact that the, the Kaepernick deal was one of the first ones where he created... Quite frankly, it's a deceiving deal, right? It it, right. Uh, it was reported at the time as this huge six year, one hundred twenty six million, sixty one million dollar in guarantees, but it ended up being basically a year to year deal that was fairly easy for the Niners to get right. out of, and they did. Um, you know, in hindsight, I think part of why Kaepernick uh, Kaepernick kneeling. Offended so many people as much as it did. I mean, it was going to offend the people who got offended anyway, but the fact that he had signed this deal that had sort of been touted as like, you know, the biggest quarterback deal ever when in fact it was more in line with uh, more in line with a player that they could move, move away from, you know, it was not really a, a locked in franchise quarterback deal. Um, you know, I think that sort of set Kaepernick up as something different than he was. But he, Marathi, is really the guy who is getting these deals done and making it work. Um, and it really, um, you know, shows through here that, that it, it, like you said, how you can do this. You can overpay a tight end when you have someone... Who's making smart deals around other players and with other positions? Uh, and as long as Lynch continues to get good players in the draft or make good free agent signings uh, that makes sense, you can make this work. Um, Charles, I know you wrote a little bit about Kittle's blocking today, uh, and there's you know there's that that was sort of the immediate Twitter sphere uh, Twitter sphere. Uh, discussion of kittle is man look at all these great blocks uh what do you think about this deal charles
0: yeah i i i only pointed that out merely because there's just that was a lot of money to pay a tight end but to me kittle in that offense and i'm not as much of a tape junkie if i can call you that sorry steven but that's the you know uh, (laughs) he's (laughs) he's a
2: junkie yeah
0: he's definitely a junkie uh x's and o's you know but but to me the value of george kittle is the guy is the centerpiece of the offense when it comes to passing. Obviously, it's a very run-heavy team, Niners. Uh, but seeing what he can do for the run game as a blocker, and he's a really good blocker, was kind of, to me, what pushed the deal to where it was, right? Like, obviously, Travis Kelsey, we haven't seen the numbers come in as taping this, but to me, seeing Kittle get top money is because he's twofold. You know, it's not just, he's not just, I don't know. I, you tell me, Stephen, Austin Hooper, not as big of a blocker or as yeah. good of a blocker. But this guy, you know, Kittle does it all. So to me, he, he deserves all that money. And, and, you know, the value that he brings to the Niners is maybe beyond that.
1: Yeah, and I think a tight end position where there's a scarcity of elite players, I think it makes sense to overpay for one. Like if you if you get one of those elite guys, and when I say elite, I'm not like including even the top five. It's like Kelsey and Kittle. I, and my, might be the only two. Maybe Ertz is on like the cusp. But if you get an elite guy at that position, which allows you to do so much schematically, I think you have to pay him whatever you want, especially if you're Kyle Shanahan and you know you're going to get the most out of him.
0: I totally agree. Also, I think the Internet reaction was like I didn't see too many over the top people saying what overpayment. They were like, oh, that kind of makes sense. So I think that that falls in line.
2: Right. Stephen, can you just give us a, a brief primer on on why exactly Shanahan's offense, uh, you know, why it's such a good fit? What What are they doing that they need blocking more than uh, your average NFL team? What is actually happening at the snap of the ball that requires that?
1: I think what makes Kittle so important to their run game is that he's on the edge. They're like Shanahan; is known for these outside zone runs where they're the offensive line is kind of working in unison to one side and it's aimed at the end man on the line of scrimmage. So if he can like set that edge and get that edge, that's where the big plays come from is when they, when they bounce it outside, when they cut back, that's more of more or less like how the is supposed to work. You're not getting like good plays. you're getting like five, six right. yard game, but it's when you can, you can get around the corner where you get the 30 and 50 yard explosive runs so, I think that's what he adds. And then you add in the fact that he's usually the target on the play action passes, which are also explosive plays. Pretty much all those big plays the 49ers got, like Kittle is involved in some way.
2: Yeah. And then obviously he is just a dominant pass rusher or a pass catcher. You uh, included in your story uh, a stat from Next Gen Stats that since 2016. Kittle is uh, by far the most efficient receiver on a per route basis. Um, You know, receiving yards per route run is 3.3. So, you know, he's obviously running a fair amount of routes. So that's a a lot of yardage for a team. And especially one that does not have a next level quarterback. I mean, you you have diagnosed and broken down Jimmy Garoppolo's faults and limitations and how Kyle Shanahan overcomes them. And a big part of that is, you know, obviously just having a guy like George Kittle who uh, is open, even when he's covered sometimes and will make difficult catches.
1: Right. I think I like, he's a different type of player from even Kelsey, even though they play the same position, Kelsey's used right. as more of a receiver. Like they'll isolate him on one side and like kind of split him out wide. Get him a matchup. That's right. not and er- Ertz is. is used
2: that way sometimes too,
1: right? Kittle's used as like a classic tight end, like you would see in in like a Bill Walsh offense. Like, so it's a totally different <laughs> role. And I think in in the 49ers offense, that role matters more than it would for any other offense.
2: Yeah. Uh, what do we think, Kel What do you think Travis Kelsey will get? I mean, what's the Uh, Because, obviously, the Chiefs are up against it a whole lot more than the 49ers are. Uh, Kelsey, uh, you know, uh, Kittle is obviously just hugely important to everything the 49ers do, and they don't really have any other stars in the offense, really. The star is is Kyle Mm -hmm. Shanahan's uh, scheme. But uh, Kelsey is surround. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, obviously, we broke down his huge contract – Tyreek Hill. I mean, these. There are other stars in this offense. How is this going to work for the Chiefs? And like Charles said, this this deal is apparently in the works, but we don't we don't have numbers yet.
1: Uh, the report is fourteen to fifteen million that I'm seeing. So, okay. like, there's not an exact number, but it's, I guess, slightly under. Right. It, fi- it figures to it. be around. Right. Right. I'm almost surprised that he didn't get less, just because. If you're, if you're Kelsey, are you really going to leave Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid in that situation? Like, I would be more willing to ask for less. <laughs> Whereas right. Kittle, you're like, I do not. Like, I need the most money I can get to play with Garoppolo. I <laughs> love <laughs> <laughs> playing in Shanahan's offense. Make something. <laughs> I love That's how him. you look at things. Uh, it's
2: amazing. Um... Yeah, we will uh, see what what happens with Kelsey and, and how this shakes out. But it is, you know, I think you're right that there are some tight ends. I mean, we've used this quote, I think, a couple times on this show. But uh, who, who was it, Mike Leach? You know, it said, like, tight ends are great if you can get one. But, like, because there really aren't that many actual, uh, like you said, elite tight ends. It's two, maybe three. Um, that and, and as you said, even of those two, Kelsey is more of a a wide receiver, not really a guy who can absolutely do both and do both with proficiency, uh, both catching the ball and blocking. So it's a rare thing and probably worth the money as you point out, and especially for the 49ers, the way that they are able to structure it.
0: The counter. Just gonna run this dog to see if we can
1: find any type of uh, human remains that are left. listen to where secrets go to die the disappearance of derek hennigan from the detroit free press a new podcast set in the woods of michigan's upper peninsula available on apple spotify freep.com or wherever you get your podcasts uh, all
2: right charles let's jump over to hard knocks now and uh this series how how many years has this series been on now
0: uh, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but I want to say it's been like fifteen, maybe more seasons. Yeah, it's a, yeah it's right. early two thousands they they started doing it. A decade and a half,
2: um, and it feels it. You know, you you write, yeah. Uh, so you uh, did a review of the first season, and you start by saying that Hard Knocks jumped the shark uh, a long time ago, and uh, and I think that you know, in in so many ways, it's. Uh, poisoned by the fact that players are, I mean, they're just media savvy, they're just they have so many other ways to get their message out. Uh, the t- you know, and the league has so much leverage here. You know, they're not really going to let filmmakers come in and show the deepest, dirtiest, grimiest things going on, they're not really going to let them show that level of detail. You know, it's not really what it's like, it's a, a pretty sanitized version of what's going on behind, quote-unquote, behind the scenes. Um, But your review gets to this point that I think this year there is renewed interest. It's not the same old, same old, because nothing about 2020 is the same old, same old. Everything has been totally upended, including football. And so this gives us a view of how uh, these two teams are dealing with all the changes mandated by the coronavirus pandemic. So take us through your thoughts on this first episode which, again, is based in Los Angeles and looks at both teams, both the uh, Chargers and Rams.
0: Yeah, and I, I want to say that, that I started out biased because I've, I thought, well, you know, hard knocks for the last couple of years, it's been the same rhythm. That's what I wrote back in 2016 that they didn't jump the shark because we kind of get the point. Unless you have a coach who is nuts, a Rex Ryan, or somebody who is quotable – uh, or if something really dramatic happens like Chad Cinco getting arrested and then cut immediately. Uh, you, you, don't really have anything that's different. You have, you know, the voice, uh, uh, of, uh, Oh God, who's the voice of, uh, hard Knocks? you know, uh, the, the, actor who is escaping me right now, um, you know, with his, with his dulcet tones talking about what's going on on the field. <laughs> the opener, that's my, that's my, that's my Yeah. It was on the time. Uh, We've you know, uh, doing his usual thing and it's the rookies and they do the rookie dancing and theme, right. everybody and so on and so forth. So you get used to the rhythm of it and preseason games too. And so in the first episode, first five minutes, 10 minutes in, I was like, all right, I see, I get the point. Everybody's getting tested. Everybody's nervous about it. Um, They're talking about how do we socially distance? How do we create a safe environment? And, About 20 minutes later, about half an hour, I was like, you know what, actually this is really fascinating because you see behind the curtain in a year where we're not getting to see behind the curtain as much. You're not getting those videos from training camp that we get from like reporters who are allowed to see 10 minutes of practice or the really nitty gritty, like you say, behind the scenes stuff uh, where players are are walking into their coach's office, you know, we're not going to see that stuff as much. So getting to see it on hard knocks was really kind of eye-opening. And I thought, wow, like actually being a player in this environment, in this sort of very heightened environment, because I think NFL players, and yeah, you know, I don't know if you guys agree with me, but I feel like they're they thrive on on the sort of the rhythm that you get every year uh, and every week, and sort of going through the the weekly, you know, Mondays sometimes off, but you lift Tuesdays a day off. Wednesday, you start, you know, game planning Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And so in this year, with their rhythms ruined like it's it's a very weird thing to watch so i found it captivating the report is i, I want to say from i think it was pro football talk said that the ratings are way down and i'm like no 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 this is the year you should watch so i'm, I'm trying to plead to people to, to watch
2: what did you make of uh you know i feel like the again i i watched a little bit i haven't gone through the whole episode i read a bunch of reviews uh it definitely seems like they are going to lean in on justin herbert uh, pushing Tyrod Taylor for the starting job in uh, with the Chargers. W- what did you make of the sort of the storylines that started to emerge? I know also that uh, the protests were discussed. I, thought, I think that was an interesting part uh, from what I've read, too. What are these narratives that you're seeing uh, evolve in the storytelling right now?
0: Oh, yeah, Justin Herbert's a big storyline, and I've, it's kind of hilarious because they don't have a preseason game to go off of because always, there's always, like, the rookie goes in the second quarter right. think, the preseason game, and we watch him falter or do well. Uh, Justin Herbert only had to, like, hit a bunch of targets in Nets, and, right. and, you know, you're sort of meant to think that's impressive, but I think, and Stephen, correct me if I'm wrong, that's something, like, most NFL quarterbacks should be able to do. So I was like, ah, I'm taking it with a grain of salt. But, yes, they're pushing that narrative big time uh you sort of have just like aaron donald is a large man and he's a star and that doesn't change from the last time the rams were on uh hard knocks but yeah like this you know he, there was one shot of him that's been shared on the internet ever of him just looking like muscles on muscles on muscles um right Mainly is sean McVay and 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 uh you know how he's sort of is you know he just jumps off the screen like he's always going to be you know, uh, a star and Anthony Lynn. I really think you know, head coach of the, uh, the the Chargers really came off amazingly. You know, he he opened the episode by talking about how he had coronavirus, COVID nineteen, and then he sort of spoke honestly with his players about a, a lot of these issues that are happening. And I was like, he's a star too. I mean, it, they showed him like barbecuing with his wife and enjoying you know a cigar, and I was like. I want to get to know him more. So I, they both popped off the screen for me uh, quite a bit. And yes, that discussion uh, with the special teams um, coach and and some of the players, sort of being honest about kneeling uh, during the anthem or in front of the American flag, and those are the kind of discussions I'd be seeing. Even just the, like you said, the sanitized version of that. You think about well, that's happening 32 other places with so many players and so many coaches, and and really kind of thinking about. All of that, with everything going on around them, is it, it, it's really uh, fascinating.
2: Yeah, I I think you're right about Herbert. You know, the the throwing into the you know, there's I think there's a couple of clips going around of him throwing into these hoops, essentially, uh, and certainly a lot of NFL quarterbacks can do that. But also, it's just not even really you know, I, I Stephen has shown as he breaks down somebody like that's not really the skill of being an NFL quarterback right like you, diagnosing plays and knowing which hoop to throw into in you know and making that decision in point you know point zero 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 three of a second is really what it takes to be a good NFL quarterback uh, and, and knowing where the defense is going to be so uh, and that is a super interesting part of this the fact that there are not going to be even these uh, preseason games to push any of the narrative forward, it's going to be an interesting thing for all of us who write about the league. Uh, we at least use that, you know, but they probably in other years, they probably got overblown, right. You know, so much, so a rookie does something nice, uh, August 12th in a game and all of a sudden he's going to be great. But, um, this year there's none of that input for us to go off of. So it will be interesting to see how those storylines evolve, uh, as we go forward. Um, what, uh, the, the two coaches, I mean, are, are they sort of being uh, played off each other? It, just, it seems like Lynn is, is sort of being shown more as, like, the down home, just more like the laid-back uh, guy who's uh, a little bit more the underdog. And Sean McVay we know is, you know, the guy who goes up to the podium and remembers everything that he ever called uh, when he was 22 years old. You know, he's just – this mastermind Uh, how are those two give me a little bit more about how those two are being portrayed and what you're hoping to see as the season goes along.
0: I I think you nailed some of that, that their personalities certainly are different. And, uh, but what was really funny, by the way, I was on a a zoom call because that's what we do these days. There was a zoom call (laughs) ahead of this season of hard knocks with the, the GMs for both teams, a bunch of reporters and, and the two coaches and the two of them were hilarious with each other. Like, they they joked back and forth. That's what elicited Sean McVeigh at some point. I think something that Lynn said, Sean McVeigh like, stopped himself. He's like, uh, Coach, we're talking about socially distancing in football. I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know. I don't remember the exact quote, but that was, he was like, how's this going to work? And I loved that, that there was this sort of banter going on uh, between these two coaches when we know that football coaches in general can be very, very, very serious. Um, so, yeah, I think there is, Certainly a difference being portrayed between their their two personalities. I wouldn't say they're being played off each other. The thing that I find a challenge is the first time that they're doing two teams. I think they're trying to sort of paint that similar things are happening in each of those camps. But I just don't feel like I feel like we're watching two different Hard Knocks at the same time, which is fine. You know, I think it, it makes for more content, which is probably something that Hard Knocks wants to go for in this year when there is less content. If you were doing one team, you know.
2: Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I think uh, I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see sort of how this plays out. I'm I'm my, my interest is definitely reignited by what you wrote. Uh, just knowing that we're going to see more than we're able to see elsewhere and see different versions. Uh, uh, you know, like you said, the the traditional media is not as involved, and what we're getting from players is not. You know, I think everyone is just a little bit more scrambled. Right? It's just like. Everything is changed by what's going on. So uh, it should be an interesting season. Uh, speaking of change, how is fantasy football going to be impacted, if at all, by everything going on? What, uh, what does this mean for fantasy football diehards?
0: Well, it, there's a lot in my mind that pr- from a preparation point that you can kind of think about. But once the season starts, it's just a, a complete crapshoot. Um, in terms of preparation, the leagues that I'm in, and by the way, listeners know I'm in five fantasy football leagues, and that's like four too many. But this is this is my life. <laughs> this is
1: my
0: my you excuse is to write about it for a living. You need
1: that's help. What I, tell my wife. I don't because I win every ah. year
0: at least once. Wow! wow. Ah, there we go. A little little brag for you. Really? No, I I think that. There's, there's two things to think about here. There's there's Number one is, do you really want to jump into it? There are some people who are like, I don't want to do it at all. If it's going to be mostly luck-based, should players miss? You know, I'm imagining a scenario where on Sunday morning you have your lineup set and all of a sudden there's, there's news at 12 o'clock that three of your players are out for this week and the next two weeks because they've been placed on the COVID-19 IR. And so if nobody wants to do that, well, fine. But I think the change then this year is that you're going to have more IR spots. We used to have... Uh, you're used to having IR spots in other sports, you know, baseball, there's like a 10 day injured list, And, uh, in hockey, you have an injured reserve list. And, and in football, if you go on injured reserve, sometimes you can come back, um, in most regular standard non-keeper leagues, you wouldn't have an IR this year. You have to have at least three or four IR spots so that you can put a guy on there who will come back eventually and then be able to pick up somebody same day. So I think that you, as commissioners, you have to think about that. If you play for money, uh, you have to think about payment structures. So if, you know, fantasy football leagues play only four weeks, if the NFL plays only four weeks and then shuts down, which, hey, you never know could happen, uh, then you right. say, All oh, you're funding all your money. If you go 10 weeks, uh, do you pay out the first four winners? Again, something that everybody has to think about. And then in terms of drafting, I am of the mind that, like, you have to – draft players who are not going to go in not knowing what the heck to do because there's no preseason games. And that that speaks to rookies with an exception. You know, wide receivers, you have to sort of downgrade. Quarterbacks, definitely for sure. Tight ends, I would never draft a a rookie tight end to begin with, which we can get into. But um, this year in particular, except for running back, because I think running back, you you know, for the most part, you're plugging in some of these guys who are going to play right away. Um, So that's kind of my mentality going in.
2: Okay, so let's throw away all the, you know, the the general uh, anxiety surrounding whether or not the the, the NFL season is actually going to happen and pretend that it is going to be a fairly standard year, but with what we know so far. They, like you said, there's not only no preseason games, but there were no, I mean, the off-season activities were severely limited. So, it's a steep climb for any young player to acclimate um, so what is your drafting strategy and, uh, you know, how has it evolved? What are you thinking? I know that you wrote one story. Uh, we got the headline here. Why should you, why, why you should definitely avoid drafting Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes in fantasy football, uh, pretty fire take here, but uh, <laughs> tell me what your overall strategy
0: is. So that's my general thing that I've written for the past three or four years that basically is like, stop drafting quarterbacks so high, because uh, basically in fantasy football, you want to hit on those first three or four picks. You want to draft, and especially this year, you want to draft players at positions that are more of a scarcity, right? You don't want to sit there and take a quarterback because when you look at last year's and the year before that and the year before that, the list of top 10 quarterbacks, generally you can get a quality top 10 guy with a much later pick. Last year you had, like, Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray um, – You had Jameis Winston. You had all these guys who were getting drafted outside of the top 10 quarterbacks finished in the top 10, and that was for various circumstances, right? Jameis, like, threw the ball a ton, and, yes, while he threw interceptions a lot, he also threw a lot of touchdowns, a lot of yardage, ran a little bit. Um, Kyler Murray, rookie, you know, who who sort of started really doing really well later in the the season. My point is you can find a gem later on. There are a few guys this year. You know, Ben Roethlisberger is one who's coming back from injury who could – be his usual top 10 self. Baker Mayfield, I'm kind of like intrigued by because he's still got a good supporting cast, new coach. Um, Those are all guys you can take later. And then with these top guys, yeah, you could call it a hot take, but if you're spending your second round pick on one of those quarterbacks, there's more of a possibility they could bust in terms of the value, right? Like, Lamar Jackson could repeat what he did last year, but last year you got Lamar Jackson uh, six rounds later, five rounds later than he's going this year, and You're paying a premium for a non-premium position. Um, whereas I'd rather get the value later than get the premium value now. And there's a stat that I cite in that article that I've seen that no quarterback, one quarterback in the last 10 or 11 years has um, gone higher in its in touchdown totals the next year after leading the NFL in touchdowns. And Patrick Mahomes joined that crowd. He, he didn't do it. So that's kind of my feeling on quarterbacks. My general strategy is running back first, running back second, wide receiver or next, I tend to wait on tight end. There are times when I'll, like, grab a George Kittle or Travis Kelsey, but not always. And then it's, like, all the running backs I can put on my bench because we know that that's a position that changes a lot.
1: Steven, what about you? Is, is Charles wrong here? I – well, I did this in the past when Gronk was, like, at his height. I used to draft him in the first round because I was trying to get those, like you're drafting for the margin, like between Gronk and the second best tight end back then. I, I feel like there was just like a, a big gap. Whereas like Charles is getting that with the quarterbacks, the margins are much smaller. Like the difference between a Mahomes and like Matthew Stafford is not that wide. Whereas the difference between a top tight right. end and a, another, in a, another position where they're yeah like, receiver, you can get a bunch of good receivers. So that used to be my strategy. Now, like, in the last couple of years where, you know, Gronk wasn't himself and then he retired, I've been going after running backs. Basically what Charles said, like, running backs early and then wide receivers, then I'll try to find value later in rounds. With, like, quarterbacks, I think I always wait on quarterbacks. Yeah, makes sense. All right, let's do uh, – let's go through some
2: uh, – some busts and sleepers and uh, just sort of buzz through some players i know uh charles you did uh one t- 2020 fantasy football sleeper from all 32 nfl teams again that's at ftw.usada.com so that's one player from each team but give me your five top sleepers uh overall and then we'll have steven react to those
0: Sure, I'll give you one from each position, and 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 that'll include two tight ends, just because I'm feeling like I can. We we're talking about tight ends, might as well. It's, it's the tight end too. show.
2: I love it. I love there, it. There you go. I,
0: yeah, that, that we get in deep here uh, with, with these. Um, uh, I'll start with Baker Mayfield. I I don't have that much confidence in him after what I saw last year, but generally in fantasy, new coach, he's got Odell Beckham. He's got a, a new tight end, Austin Hooper. He's got. Jarvis Landry, he's got Kareem Hunt catching pass out of the backfield. The offensive line is good. So I'm kind of like, I'll take a shot with him, but then immediately probably take a quarterback not soon after that. And and hope (laughs) that Ball you know, does pretty well. Because I don't think Baker Mayfield's going to end up being like a top five quarterback. But again, like I'm I'm just looking for somebody with value. So if he's like the 16th quarterback taken and ends up being like, the seventh or eighth best guy I'll go for that. Steven, do you want to react with each one? So you know, I'll, I'll hand it over to you. What do you think about that?
1: No. Yeah, I agree. That's a good pick. I think he's going to do well in that offense where he doesn't have to think too much. And that's when he got into trouble last year. I think they're going to put him on the move where he's been a good, a pretty good passer in years past. So I think he fits the fancy system and like you said, if you can get him late, yeah, by all means draft him. Just make sure you have a backup plan. Because I don't know, maybe maybe that marriage because Stefanski like was just running Gary Kubiak's offense. So if Kubiak's not there to kind of guide him, maybe it doesn't work as well in Cleveland. So that's the only reason I'd be hesitant to I don't know, to draft him and make him my starter at least.
0: Cool. Uh, I'm going to go next with with the rookie running backs like J.K. Dobbins in in Baltimore. I think he's going to get a lot more carries than Mark Ingram will, and Jonathan Taylor in Indianapolis. Uh, the Marlon Mack talk in the fantasy community is like everything out of out of the coaching staff's mouth is like, oh yeah, Marlon Mack is is there in the right to start, and everyone's like, no, I see right through it. So those are two guys I'm definitely going to target.
1: Yeah, I'm. I don't know if I'd go after the rookies, especially in those offenses where they kind of use rookies are running backs in protection. So like Charles said earlier, it's been such a weird off season where they probably didn't get that preparation or they didn't get that work uh, during practice. So I would go with the veterans there are, at the very least, I wouldn't want to bet on those rookies being good because a uh, I think there's a better chance that they're going to bust than, say, another established running back elsewhere. And it, it seems like you might have to overdraft Dobbins at this point. I don't know about Taylor.
0: Yeah, I think I think my point is sleeper prices, right? Like, don't reach for the rookies. But it, with rookie running backs, I generally right. feel like the, the younger bodies are the ones who want in there and, you know – Mark Ingram's 31 and, and, and has some tread in his tires. But, yeah, that's that's a very good point about rookies in general this year. Um, I love Hollywood Brown this year. I love he's put on 20 pounds, and, you know, he's getting in year two in that offense. So I can see him having a big year with, uh, with uh, the, the Baltimore Ravens. What do you think, Stephen?
1: Yeah, it's funny like seeing that he put on twenty pounds of muscle and then he's still only like what is he? He's like one sixty now. Like how how big right, was he yeah. at Oklahoma? It was like they had a, a hundred and twenty-five pound receiver and a five foot eight quarterback and they were just like killing teams of the Big Twelve. Just hilarious to me. But uh yeah, I really like him too. I think the I mean, I think the Ravens passing game has to evolve in year two of the system. Uh, after Lamar took over as the full-time starter, and I think he's going to be the main target there. Those those passes, I think if they increase Lamar's attempts, those passes are going to be deep passes down the field, and he's going to be the number one receiver on those types of plays. So, I totally agree with you. I think he's he's due for a big a big jump, and apparently, I believe he was playing injured last year, so he should be healthier, and that should make him even more even more effective.
0: I love that Steven agrees with me. This is, we we used to do a a fantasy podcast together uh, a few years ago and and we didn't have this much agreement. So maybe you'll feel differently here. I got two tight ends for you guys. Noah Fant, Hayden Hurst, Hurst obviously uh, uh, traded to the Atlanta Falcons who lost uh, their starting tight end to the Cleveland Browns. So I like him a lot. And Noah Fant, second year in uh, Denver's offense. He showed some, some, you know, some things last year with the, uh, with a rookie quarterback. So I'm, I'm liking both those guys. I tend to take tight ends late. So those are two guys I'm going to probably end up with. What do you think, Steven?
1: Uh, all right. I'm going to disagree with you on this one. I'm Finally. just worried yes. about Let's go. The, the coaches in charge of those tight ends. Like Hayden Hurst. I, I think on a better team or a better coached offense, with those players around him with matt ryan throwing him the ball i would i would be high on him but with dirk cutter as the offensive coordinator i'm just kind of hesitant and i don't trust him to get the tight end involved i mean i'm not basing this on any evidence but it's just been my sense that he usually doesn't get the most out of his tight ends and then pat Shermer, i'm i'm kind of skeptical and i think that the broncos are going to run a lot of uh two tight end sets so he might get his targets eaten into and they have a lot of receiver a lot of good receivers they they just drafted jerry judy they have sudden i just i just think there's a lot of mouths to feed and then you're relying on a guy who's essentially a rookie at quarterback he's got to divvy up those targets and i don't i don't really trust Locke to do, to do that either
0: and this is why steven watches a lot of tape and knows his coaches and that's why i gotta listen to him so yeah you want to do right. both now? Uh, that film.
2: Yeah, yeah. But take us through. Just throw out your five uh, busts, and then we'll have Stephen agree or disagree.
0: Well, you guys uh, heard my spiel about quarterbacks, so we have that covered. I uh, Here's here's a hot take. Derek Henry is a guy I'm not going to be drafting, even if I have, like, the fifth or sixth pick. I worry about all kinds of stuff from the fact that he did over 300 carries last year. I really didn't like that he didn't catch a lot of passes and you know, if the Titans are playing from behind, you know, what are they going to do there? Even though, yes, they gave him the ball when they were behind last year. Um, that's two reasons that I worry about taking him that high. Uh, so I'm probably not going to be ending up with him. I just, a two dimensional player, even one who led the league in rushing last year, I'm just not doing it. Um, Cause I just don't see him repeating it. Uh, especially another year with uh, more wear and tear on him. Steven, What's your feeling?
1: Yeah, I think you got it. You have when you put up a year like that, you have to expect regression. And then you add on the fact that he was just such a, a workhorse and he's playing this position where they fall off the cliff almost like instantly. I agree with you because you're drafting him based on his production last year. And I don't think there's any chance that he matches it. So you're you're basically overdrafting him no matter what, unless he does somehow improve on his 2019 season.
0: Right. Good. We agree. Uh, how about Todd Gurley? I think there's a – just I think people are drafting him on name alone, but what we saw last year was I'm, I'm already sold. Uh, you got
1: I, me. You already convinced me. His, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> You don't have to explain anything else. <laughs> Perfect. Great. Don't do Todd Gurley, whatever knee. you do.
0: Yeah. No. Don't do it. I don't, I don't, don't. get it. I don't see – I've seen ADP numbers that's average, average draft position numbers that I'm like, come on just if you're going to draft him, like he should be like the 40th running back taken, not like the 20th. Right. So no, no, don't do it. I want to hear your thoughts on Stefan Diggs because I, I, I know how you <laughs> feel.
1: <on> There's <laughs> not <on. laughs> going to be a big, I, I, my thoughts on Stefan Diggs have nothing to do with Stefan Diggs.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, I, I worry about him. I think he's being drafted where he should be, which is in sort of like the late twenties, uh, in terms of wide receiver ranks, um, so I feel that 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 seems right, but I'm still not even touching him there. I'd rather have like a, a younger sleeper type at that position. So, yeah, I, I know how you feel about the Bills and Josh Allen. So I, I just don't think it's a fit with, with his quarterback.
1: Yeah, I would agree. Like you think of Josh <laughs> Allen and I think people are just like he's got a big arm. So Stefan Diggs is a good deep threat. So it makes sense. But he's got a big arm, but he doesn't know how to use it. And last year the Bills seemed to realize that. As the season went on, they went to more uh, more of like a quick passing game because they realized he can't hit anything deep. So I'm expecting Cole Beasley to get most of those targets. And then if they're taking shots downfield, it's going to be between him and John Brown. Like it's not even like he's the only deep threat on that roster. I just – and I don't right. – I don't trust Josh Allen to like cash in on those those opportunities he gets.
0: So there you have it. We agree. What do you think, Corman?
2: I think that any episode where we can get Steven to annoy Buffalo fans, then we we've done our, we've done our work here. Uh, Just to have him talk about Josh Allen. Um, Charles, thank you so much, man, for, uh, for everything you brought to us here. It was fantastic. It was uh, just terrific stuff. Uh, where can people find you on Twitter? I don't know if you want people to find yes. you.
0: Come find me. Talk fantasy. <laughs> talk trash. Whatever. I'm at by Charles Curtis. You can find me there. I tweet a lot of my articles and not a lot else, which uh, you know, I, I should probably tweet more of my hot fantasy takes. Although I haven't gotten a lot of people coming at me for my quarterback take. Maybe, maybe this will be the year I get it.
2: Maybe, maybe, um, we will be back, uh, next week. I think we're looking to, uh, start our previews, our season previews going through, uh, team by team, division by division, and breaking down what we think is going to happen in the NFL season. If the NFL season in fact happens, uh, we have, uh, today, <laughs> while we were working on the show, uh, I I can't. I don't know if a story will top this one. Um, <laughs> moving forward, uh, I mean, I'm not going to rule anything out because of how crazy this year has been. But uh, the Seahawks waved a young corner cornerback that no one's ever heard of, Kima Siverand. I guess is his name. That's uh, a and the reason for this wave, he was he was caught on video trying to sneak in a female visitor into the team hotel. And she was dressed in Seahawks gear, so as to like, so that she might look like a player. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't, I can't think of a better way to end the show. I mean, that's just, it's just where we are in 2020. And,
1: I'll tell, I'll tell you where uh, he went. Where he went wrong. He didn't realize how sexist the NFL is. They don't, they don't have female coaches on staff. So, they're like, they're like, no, this is, this is not, this is, this is not legit. Not going to happen.
0: Dressing, yeah. it, by dressing the the, the person, not in it, like why would you do it in Seahawks gear? Like, does every Seahawks player dress in Seahawks gear? Like, you know, one of our coworkers I think suggested like hotel uh, attire. Uh, yeah, I,
2: yeah, yeah, You gotta be you gotta be much craftier with it. Like, like a uh, bellhop,
1: like a nineteen fifties right. bellhop. <laughs>
0: yeah, I the cart, you know, under the under the uh, cart that, that yeah, that
1: <laughs> You
0: should have... <laughs>
2: Should have uh, should have given her a playbook full of running plays and had her say that she was just taking it to the offensive coordinator
1: or like a bunch it. of nine eleven conspiracies.
2: Oh, jeez. Oh, uh, Charles, I uh, I usually give Stephen the final word here on the show. I'm I'm kicking it to you though because you're our special guest. What do you want to say to the people as we log off here?
0: Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, any questions you got for me for fantasy? Come come at me. Come say hi, and uh, hopefully this season is, is is a good one, and everybody stays as healthy as possible. Charles, such a such a kind gentleman. I've loved <laughs> having <laughs> you
2: on. So <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, thanks so much for joining us here in the counter. We will talk to you next time. Take care.
0: The counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports, featuring for the win Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman.